Good morning. My name is Mike Berry. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's my privilege to bring the word this morning. To ask you to open up to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be actually moving all around the scriptures this morning, but if you could start in Romans 1. Back when I was in college, uh, one of my summer jobs was working at a boys camp um, where I led at-risk young men and would take them on 13-day backpacking trips in the high Sierras. And uh, that was quite a lot of fun. Uh, But when I first arrived, one of the things they assigned me to do was archery, and I had never touched a bow in my life. And uh, But fortunately, they put me in connection with a guy in our camp who had been doing it for years. And so I got to just watch him um, do his thing um, for the first session. So for about two weeks, I'd go and watch what he did and, and uh, watch how he instructed the boys, learned which way to put the feathers on the arrow, learned to keep my bow and arrow down learned not to walk out onto the range when people were firing, learned how to pull arrows out of the haystack without breaking your arrows, things like that. And so within about two weeks, I was an expert, and they put me in charge of teaching archery. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, one of the things that you learn right away is, is anybody can hit the target by accident, uh, but if you're going to hit the target consistently, there's certain principles that you have to learn. Um, you have to learn how to, you know, pull the the arrow back and then just wave goodbye. You know, try not to yank it when you let go. And there's certain principles that will help guarantee that you're going to hit the target uh, more often than not. And it's similar to the way the, pa- the passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. We can... Um, we can do a lot of things in life by accident, or we can be purposeful about it. We can think and plan ahead. Um, every one of us in this room are accountants, whether you like it or not. Every one of you, at least the adults here, you have to pay bills. Money comes into your household. Money goes out of your household. You're either an accidental accountant, or you're purposeful in the way that you manage your money. Everybody in this room does relationships, and so we all have relationships, and we're either doing those relationships accidentally, or we're being purposeful in the way that we do those relationships. This morning, what I want to propose is that we should do theology on purpose. We should do theology on purpose. Now, really, this is a one-point sermon. doesn't mean it's going to be five minutes, but it's a one-point message. It's basically everybody in this room is a theologian, but you should do your theology on purpose. Everybody in this room is a theologian, whether you realize it or not. And you should do your theology on purpose. And I'm going to shoot many arrows this morning to try to make that one point. And I'm hoping that some of them stick. All right. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many points because I don't want to overwhelm you. But there's only one point with many arrows. And that one point is you're all theologians. We just want to make you purposeful theologians, and I'm going to shoot a bunch of arrows at you, and I'm hoping that some of them will stick in your mind, and when you guys get to care group or family discussions this week, you'll remember something, right? 
by the grace of the Lord. So let's let's look at a few things um, this morning. Um, let's first of all look at this point, and and you guys can I think you should have a blank outline. Is that what you guys have? Okay, so I'm going to speak slow enough, hopefully, for you to write down each of these arrows. And by the way, care group leaders, you can get questions up here a little bit later if you want. I've got several care group questions for care group discussion leaders. The first arrow is this, is that you should do theology on purpose because you already do theology. You already do theology. Just like everybody in this room is already an accountant, um, you are all theologians. Perhaps you're not doing it on purpose, but you are a theologian nonetheless. Um, and theology is just simply, if you just break those, the words down, they come from Greek. You have theos, which means God, logos, which means knowledge or study of. And so everybody in this room has a knowledge of God in some way. And you have a philosophy of God. So you're all theologians, whether you realize it or not. And everybody in this room has um, certain doctrines in your minds. They might be organized, disorganized. They might be conscious or unconscious, but you all have certain doctrines, things that you believe about God, or maybe you don't believe in God, and that's a doctrine. So these two disciples are sharing some things. They've got some good theology, and they've got some incomplete theology, right? They're doing theology, but they don't. their arrows are not pointed right at the target. Jesus to them so far is just a prophet. They were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel politically at this point. Didn't happen. So they're very sad. They're very disappointed. Jesus was crucified instead. And so their expectations have been dashed. Well, Jesus comes along to help realign their aim and to help them get more purposeful in their knowledge and their theology of him. And so in verse 25, Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And, and verse 27 is where we want to focus. And uh, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an amazing conversation that must have been. That Jesus Christ himself is going back to the writings of Moses. That would be the Pentateuch of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then he's also going to the prophets and then obviously the Psalms um, and speaking of all these things concerning himself. Now, here's what we probably know Jesus didn't do. He didn't just recite to, to them word for word in the beginning. God created the heavens, and the earth and just recite to them verse by verse everything that happened in the scripture. What he was almost certainly doing is going to certain passages of scripture and, and demonstrating how this passage spoke of him and how it connected to another passage and how that passage connected to another passage. In other words, Jesus Christ was helped developing a Christology, a theology of Christ from the Old Testament for these disciples on the road to Emmaus. He was help giving purpose to their theology, helping them think about what they should believe about Christ from the scriptures. And so Christ did theology. Christ did systematic theology. Um, he developed a Christology for these two disciples, and, and so should we. Another arrow we've talked about, you know, you guys should all be purposeful about your theology because you're already theologians. Christ has set the example for you. But another arrow is because the gospel is it. 
Why should we be purposeful about our theology? Because the gospel is theology. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about a knowledge of God and his ultimate purpose and design for the universe. Consider these passages. Uh, Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing what? Yeah, the word of God or the word of Christ. How is it our faith isn't just some um, empty space? Our faith has content. And the content of our faith is the word of Christ. Um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, Titus 3, um, verses 4 and on, gives our nice little synopsis of the gospel. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love towards mankind appeared, Christ's first advent, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, we're not saved by our works, which uh, we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, we are born again, we have regeneration, we have the filling of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified, there's the doctrine of justification, by his grace we may be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We've got eschatology. In one little tight, compact, we've got the whole gospel um, all wrapped up in three verses. Um, the gospel is theology. The gospel is knowledge of God. And so you all are theologians. Consider Jeremiah 6, 16. It shows the practical nature of theology when Jeremiah says, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. What is that other than just an Old Testament reference to the gospel? Look for the good way, the good old path and find rest for your souls. And so we want to do, um, we want to be purposeful about our theology. We don't just want to be haphazard. We don't want to be shooting in all different directions or thoughtless. We want to give attention and direction to our arrows because you're already theologians anyway crisis at the example the gospel is itself theology but another arrow that we can put in our quiver is the fact that god quite frankly commands you to be purposeful about your theology he commands you to be theologians consider what uh, jesus says in matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: you shall what love the lord your god with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. We're to love God with all of our being. Our emotions, our soul, our bodies could be included. Uh, but certainly this means also that we are to give ourselves over to study. And so it's something that God, God commands us to be purposeful in the way that we're thinking about him. And the way that we're organizing our knowledge of him. Another arrow that you could put in the quiver is because love for God cannot be detached from theology. Let me say that again. Love for God cannot be detached from theology. We've just read. I'll say the same verse again. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your Mind, Love is connected to the way that we think about God. They cannot be divorced from one another. 
John Piper has said that the, theo- uh, the theological mind exists to throw logs into the furnace of our affections for Christ. The theological mind exists to throw logs into the furnace of our affections for Christ. As we're thinking rightly about God, we're just pouring more fuel onto the fire for God. I love the analogy that R.C. Sproul uses uses in several different places. One is essential Christian doctrines, 100 essential Christian doctrines, that green book. He talks about the connection between oxygen and fire. We've got oxygen in this room, but I don't think there's any fire in here. But there's the necessary oxygen to light a match or to have fire in here. But if we happen to be in a laboratory that could rid itself or we could get rid of all oxygen, you could not have fire, correct? You must have oxygen to have fire. Um, Without oxygen, you cannot have fire. In the same way, um, you need knowledge, you need content to have a love for God. You cannot have or grow in love with Christ without knowledge. The gospel has content. We, 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 serve a, we don't just serve a God, we serve the God. We're not just loving any Jesus. Paul speaks of another Jesus in 2 Corinthians 11, a false Jesus. We serve the, the Jesus. We serve the proper Christ that's revealed to us in, in scriptures. So we need to have knowledge, we need to have theology in order to have love for God. At the, but at the same time, you could have knowledge and have no love for God, right? There's theologians all around the world that can tell you all the Greek and the Hebrew, and they can, they can give you all kinds of information on, on God, and yet they don't love God. In fact, they're trying to tear down the word. But just, the, just because somebody can have knowledge and not have love doesn't mean that the knowledge is unnecessary. Just We must have oxygen to have fire. We must have knowledge to have love. Again, so what is the one point that we're trying to make? Just one point. Do your theology what? On purpose. You should do theology on purpose. Why? Because you're already a theologian. Christ has set the example for you. Um, God commands it. The gospel is theology. And love cannot be divorced or detached from theology. But let's give you another arrow. Because it's essential to worship. Theology, purposeful theology, is absolutely essential to worship. Remember the passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well and she's having this conversation. He's having a conversation with her about, you know, her background. And then she tries to turn the tables and talks about worship. What does Christ say? True worshipers will worship the father in spirit and what? In truth, for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. <clears throat> so he, you know, Christ says very clearly that salvation is of the Jews, that if you're going to get saved at that point, <clears throat> you need to come to the true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. You need to have the right content, the right information, um, and that's what's going to guide your worship, that you're going to worship in the power of the Holy Spirit, but that, that worship has content to it. Psalm 111 verse 2 says this, speaking of just the practical nature of theology and worship. Great are your works, great are the works of the Lord, 
studied by all who delight in them. This is a song. Lord, great are your works, and your works are studied by all who delight in your works. Jaya Packer says that theology is doxology. Theology is doxology. What does that mean? Theology is worship. We worship a God who is true, and there are truths about him. Um, you remember the, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and the devil said, bow down and worship me, or in the Greek, proskuneo me, bow down and proskuneo me. And what does Jesus respond? He says, hey, it doesn't matter if I bow down to you or not. Um, I, I won't do it. I'll just do it um, outwardly, but I won't do it in my heart. But he says, no, you shall worship the Lord. You shall proskuneo Yahweh your God, and him only shall you serve. Um, Yahweh, your God. This is a particular person. There's particular beliefs about this person <clears throat> that we must affirm. And so uh, theology is essential to worship. I want to encourage you that, <clears throat> you know, while worship is not restricted to just music, it's everything that we do. It's when we, when we gather together and we give our offerings, that's worship. When we pray, that's worship. Uh, but part of our worship involves singing to the Lord, correct? We sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord and to one another, as uh, <clears throat> Ephesians and Colossians speaks of. And we want to make sure that as we, as we gather together to sing our prayers to the Lord and to sing our praises of God, that we're singing things that are true and can rightly be attributed to God and God alone. That's why... Um, there's many churches, we're not unique in this, but at Cornerstone, we try to make sure that the things that we're singing are distinctive. We're singing to the true God. Um, there are many forms of singing and forms of worship that are available to the church today that, quite frankly, could be sung to any particular deity. If you, if you don't think too deeply about what you're singing, this, you could take a, a lot of songs that are sung in the church today and they could be sung to Buddha, they could be sung to Muhammad, or they could be sung to your girlfriend, if you, just, if you don't think too deeply about the song. Um, that's why I would really encourage you, as you're, as you're considering um, worship and the theology of worship, is that you go back and you really consider um, hymns of the faith. When I say hymns, I'm not just talking about old, ancient hymns, I'm talking about modern hymns too. There are a lot of good songs that are being written today that have an appropriate um, God-directed orientation where people were trying to actually worship the true God and say who it is whom we're worshiping, both in old hymns and new hymns. Many of the songs, or the songs that we sing this morning are examples of that. Um, you think of a uh, song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, let, my hide, let Me Hide Myself in Thee. Cleanse me from the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power or wrath, uh, wrath and power. Um, there are things that theologians or, or songwriters have written about very purposefully um, to try to direct our gaze <clears throat> towards the true God. Unfortunately, today, um, we have people that are writing songs for the church that are not even Christians or not even born-again Christians. There are people that we would consider orthodox um, I'm not going to mention any names right now, but if you want to ask me later, I'll be glad to tell you. 
But we have songs that are sung by, that are top 20 songs on CCLI, Christian Copyright Licensing Organization, that are sung all over the place in many, many different churches that are written by people who do not believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. They believe in salvation by works. And what they've done is they've come and hijacked um, Protestant type of lyrics, packed them with their own meaning, and then they've sold them off to the church. And we're singing them. And we think it's fine and dandy. We need to be much more contemplative about what we're singing. Who are we singing to? Is this the real Jesus or is this, as Paul says, another Jesus? And so this morning, we want to encourage you all to, with the fact that you're all theologians and that you should do your theology on purpose, that you should think about where you're shooting your arrows, um, because you're already theologians. Christ has set the example, the gospel's theology. Um, God has commanded it. Love cannot be detached from theology. It's essential to worship, but let's give you guys another arrow. Because growth in godliness flows from theology. Growth in godliness flows from theology. Go ahead and open with me to Second Timothy chapter three. A lot of the Awana kids and very I'm sure a lot of you guys know this verse by memory. Second Timothy three. All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for what? Doctrine, okay, teaching, okay, this is theology, profitable for teaching, and from from the doctrine, we get reproof, so um, our theology reproves us, it shows us that we're wrong, it corrects us, and as that train continues to follow, then it instructs us in what? Righteousness. So this is like a, I want to argue that this this is basically a flow of thought we start with the right theology and as as we read the scriptures we start to develop our theology and if things are working right if 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 the if everything's oiled properly we read the bible and the theology is developed and then it shows ways in our lives which we need to be reproved or corrected or we get reproved then we get corrected and as, as we're getting corrected, then we get instructed in godliness. That's the design that God has. Scripture leads to theology, which shows faults in our th- thought process, or our practices, which then gets corrected, which results in training in righteousness or godliness. That's the design of theology. And we'll talk about verse 17 here in a little bit. And so th- that's the big idea. We see it um, all over First Timothy, the pastoral epistles is that the idea is, is not just that theology leads to arguments, as some people say, um, love unifies, doctrine divides. The biblical idea of theology is that it has the impact of godliness, that we're continually reading the Bible, continually seeing the connections throughout Scripture, which causes us to see problems in our own thinking, in our own lives, And then the Bible doesn't just leave us with the problem. It also helps correct us. And as we get corrected, we get more and more trained in godliness. That's the big circular design. Does that make sense? So God's trying to direct us to be purposeful in our study, in our theology. Let's give you guys another arrow to put in the quiver 
uh, because it develops your worldview on purpose. As we do theology on purpose, theology is just another term for worldview. It develops our worldview on purpose. Francis Schaeffer has been known for the, uh, uh, many different famous teachings and quotes, but one of his most famous quotes is that people catch a worldview like they catch the measles. They catch a worldview like they catch the measles. What do you mean by that? People don't get the measles thoughtfully or purposefully. It just happens to them. Why do, why do people do what they do in any given culture? Why do you wear the clothes that you do? <clears throat> why do you drive the particular car that you drive? Why do you speak the way that you do? You know, when I was, I grew up in Orange County, and I, only, I moved from Orange County to the Inland Empire, and there was a distinctly, I remember there's a different way of speaking in the Inland Empire from Orange County. And I remember that. Now I've lost it. But as soon as I came out here to what I considered to be the Hicks back in the late 18, or was it 1987, I moved out to the Inland Empire, you guys all spoke differently, right? I just kind of spoke like a guy from Orange County, dude. What's up? I, I don't know what the difference is, man. And um, even the way that you guys sung songs in church. I, I grew up at a Calvary Chapel in Anaheim. We sung songs a certain way. I went to another church. A lot of the same songs, but they sung them differently. Why do we, what is it that causes us to just kind of do things around us? We just catch culture like the measles, as Francis Schaeffer says. When we're being thoughtful about our theology, then we begin to be purposeful about our world view. We begin to take every thought captive, as Second Corinthians says, and then we submit it to Christ, and we say, Christ... What do you think about this particular idea? And then we begin to shape our ideas, our worldview, the way that we're going to live based upon our theology. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his early sermons, um, said this, The highest science, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of the child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. That's the highest science, the mightiest philosophy. One of the greatest things that you can do in your life is to make sure that your life is fixed upon a proper theology, that you're purposeful in the way that you think about God. That we would um, be uh, thinking God's thoughts after him. God, what do you think about this topic? And then we think a certain way about that topic. This last year, I had the privilege of um, teaching through um, systematic theology again. Uh, I can't remember. I think this might be the seventh or eighth time that I've done it. And every time I just grow. And we, were, we had a class here on Wednesday mornings called Doctrine Matters. And it's interesting. There was this lot of themes that kept arising over and over again. One of the themes was this, that um, God is God and we are not. That there is a creator-creature distinction that just kept coming up over and over again as we were studying the Word of God. 
And it answers so many questions and problems that we see in life. There's certain things that God has the prerogative to do because he's God. And I don't have the prerogative to do those things because I'm a creature. And that just helps us answer so many different questions. We call it the creator-creature distinction. We also, one of the things that kept popping up over and over again this year is what we call divine compatibility. And I'll talk about this in another sermon. It's just the basic idea that God is absolutely in charge of absolutely everything that happens. And yet human beings are absolutely responsible for their choices. And yet these two ideas are perfectly compatible in the mind of God. God's not threatened by them at all. In fact, the, the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of that. As, Jesus, as God had foreordained that Jesus Christ would go and die on the cross, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't plan B. It's something that God had planned before time began. And yet human beings were involved in the trial that condemned Christ as guilty. Human beings made choices to put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, They're held responsible for those actions, and yet they fell backwards into God's plan. That's divine compatibility. We see it all over the Bible. Human beings are really responsible for their actions, but God is completely in control of all events. As we think these types of thoughts, as we begin to realize that the Bible gives us a way of thinking, um, it helps us develop our own worldview. Turn for a moment to Romans chapter 12 been going over this with our family and family devotions. Romans chapter 12. Paul says right there at the top of the chapter, after he's spent all this time developing the gospel from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11, he says, I beseech you therefore, in light of everything we've talked about in the first 11 chapters, although there were no chapters back then, um, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, worship, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable form of worship or service and do not be conformed to this world what's the world don't be conformed to the culture of this world but be transformed how by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god how do we know the will of god we know the will of god from the scriptures the scriptures are are what god uses the holy spirit uses to help renew our minds. And so we bring the scriptures, we bring theology to bear on absolutely everything that we think about. I've got a future, I don't know if this is going to hopefully turn into some kind of series. I've been working for a while and I just haven't had the guts to preach it. Maybe you guys can text me or send me a Facebook or an email if I should preach it. It's basically a series on the theology of the body. I want to do a, a, a series on the theology of the body. The Pope's got his theology of the body. I don't know if you've heard about it. But the Bible says a lot about the body. God, I'll just give you a little summary. God cares about your body because he owns it. It's not yours. He's loaned it to you. He cares what you put on your body. He cares what you put in your body. He cares where your body goes. Um, he cares what you do with your body. And he cares what happens to your body after you die. That's the whole message in just 10 seconds. And so we should think about our bodies in light of what the Bible has to say. There's sometimes where our staff, I'll just give you a little kind of bird's eye, kind of fly on the wall view of a staff meeting. Sometimes we're in our, back there in the conference room and we'll be talking about you know something that's going on. 
And, you know, somebody will have made a certain decision in their life. And one of one of the people on the staff will ask that person. So what scripture passages or what process did you go through in order to arrive at that particular decision? And unfortunately, so many times you just get this blank look on people's face and they're just like, um, I don't know, I just thought it was cool. You're like, that's the sum total of the theological depth that you gave to this particular issue. Yeah, is this cool? I'm like, cool. I want to propose to you that that is not aiming your arrow very carefully at the target. That the Bible has a lot to say about a lot of subjects and that we should think very thoughtfully about those subjects and do the very best that we can to aim at the target that God wants us to aim at. Do theology purposefully. God has opinions about many of the things that we do. Let's give you guys another arrow. Uh, We should do theology on purpose because it helps you overcome wrong ideas and protects you from false doctrine. We've already looked at 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's turn to Titus 1.9. Titus 1.9. Um, Paul speaking to Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort, convict those who contradict. So a pastor, and we could apply this to Christians in general, should be able to hold on to sound doctrine so that they can make judgments about those that are contradicting sound doctrine. Came across a Peanuts cartoon this week with uh, Linus and Lucy. Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. You've taken a great load off my mind. Sound theology has a way of doing that. And it's true. When we have good sound theology, it corrects mistaken notions um, that we might have. Uh, Martin, I was just reading uh, last night um, about Martin Luther, who as a young boy was just plagued in his conscience about purgatory. Just overwhelmed that he was a bad boy who got spanked endlessly by his father and by his teachers and knew that there was really no hope that he was going to escape purgatory. And that if family members did not say enough masses and burn enough candles and give enough money to the church, he was going to stay in purgatory forever. This plagued Martin Luther because he really believed what the church was teaching. But then over time he began to develop sound theology. And he describes some of those early moments of understanding that we are saved by faith alone. He describes himself just leaping around the room, just laughing, uh, singing out loud at the idea that his salvation was not based upon the fact of whether he was a good boy or a bad boy or how many spankings he got, but his salvation was based on believing in the finished work of Christ. 
that released him from an amazing burden. And sound theology will release us from false teaching that binds people in all kinds of terrible ways. Shailen has a rap called False Teachers that got raised some eyebrows where he just raps about all kinds of false teachers. <laughs> and uh, I really commend it to you. Um, there's an article in the Babylon Bee, which is a satirical site, that tongue-in-cheek says that Shailen is now coming in up with a sequel, a 97-minute sequel of his rap, False Teachers, because there are so many out there. Um, and uh, and every time you turn on the radio, turn on the TV, you're just seeing another one. And unfortunately, if, if the false teaching didn't do damage to people, we could just laugh it off. But false teaching does damage. So we want to be uh, purposeful in our theology. It will help us overcome wrong ideas. Let's give you guys another few arrows here. Because it's the logical, obedient response to the Great Commission. It's just a logical response to the Great Commission. Matthew 28. You could go ahead and turn there. It's a logical, obedient response to the Great Commission to be purposeful theologians. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples right before he's ascended? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them to what? Observe a few of the things that you think are important. No, to observe all things that I have commanded you. So the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled if we do not teach people to observe, to put into practice all the things that Christ has commanded. And so in order to do that, we've got to know what Christ teaches. We've got to, and then we've got to teach it to people and help them put it into practice. That is doing theology. That's taking our knowledge of God and putting it to practice, helping people shoot the arrow straight. And so if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, it's not good enough to just say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and to walk away. We need to give them the background of the fact that God exists, that He's the Creator, that there's a fall, that there's a need for salvation, that they can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the, gives them alien righteousness. They don't have to fulfill their own righteousness. There's coming judgment, but they can escape that judgment if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivers them from wrath to come. And by the way, Jesus Christ has given you all the things that you need for life and godliness, and we're going to talk about them throughout life. We're going to do theology together day in and day out and help, the, help them overcome these mental traps that all of us bring into our Christian life. None of us comes into the Christian life and just checks all of our, our false doctrine at the door. You guys realize that? I got saved when I was 14. I want to, to make a confession to you, and this might shock you. When I got saved, I had a lot of false teachings still in my mind. I went up to people like, you know, a couple months after I was saved, and I said, Jesus is coming back in two months. You better get ready. In January, he's coming, and if, and if you don't receive him, I'm out of here, and you're left, and, and you're in trouble. Watch out for the mark of the beast. And then two months went by, and Jesus Christ didn't come back, and I was a false prophet. That was, that was bad, bad news. There's all kinds of ways in which my theology has had to be reshaped over time as people, God has 
brought people to my life that are bringing me back to the scriptures and we're growing and we're being checked and we're going through that cycle scripture theology reproof correction righteousness scripture theology reproof correction righteousness we go throughout we go through it throughout life also um, another arrow is we want to be purposeful in our theology because it helps the church come to true unity turn to uh, ephesians 4 True unity. What do I mean by true unity? True unity happens as we're actually talking about issues, not just pretending like we're all on the same page. Today, there's there's this uh, this tug of war that that we have, where there's people who would agree with us on certain social issues. And we can bind ourselves together with people for political purposes and so on and so forth. But there's an inherent danger with that. And that is sometimes we're tempted to say that the people that we're aligned with for certain political causes, we're also aligned with them in theological areas. For instance, like I'm aligned with certain religions that I consider to be false religions on the issue of abortion. We both agree that abortion is murder and wrong. And and we both want to develop political clout. The danger is, is that I'm trying if I try to develop the political clout by saying all these false religions are with me and we're all on the same page theologically. That can be a big problem. That's not true unity. Ephesians 413 speaks of this, that that we've been given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, obviously to teach us. Uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge. This is content of the Son of God to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, why, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by various, um, carried about by every wind of what? Doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth, in love may grow up in all things into him who's the head. So on and so forth. Every, every part doing its part. Doctrine, we, get, we come to unity and we, and, and we can avoid being thrown by the wind as we're coming and, and, and arming ourselves and rallying around truth. Things that are really true. Speaking the truth in love. I love the way Paul says that. We're speaking truth but we're speaking it with a love purpose. We want to find real unity. Now we can pretend like we all love each other, but all of a sudden you bring up something that we disagree on, and now sometimes the love can go out the door. The overall design is that we would be debating, that we would be speaking the truth in love, and that the church would be growing more and more unified as time goes on, not just avoiding issues and pretending like there's unity. Um. And so there's a place for us bringing, having good, healthy, loving, doctrinal discussion. I love the example of some of my theological heroes right now, and have been for a long time, you know, like uh, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. You know, these guys uh, are, are unified on, you know, most of the major doctrinal issues, and they have such respect and love for each other. But, the, but they're not content just to stay there. They'll get together and debate issues like, Infant baptism. I was at the Master Seminary when they came and debated, debated infant baptism. And I love the example that they set for us as seminarians that they, they spoke truth. They were trying to speak truth. 
in love. They were loving each other, but also speaking truth and really trying to come to unity. And I love that example. So doing theology purposefully helps us come to true unity. It also um, helps equip us for ministry, as it says, Ephesians 4. Equips us to go out and minister to one another, to serve one another. Um, It also is indispensable to apologetics. It's indispensable to apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This is not Lord just in your emotions. The idea of heart in the New Testament and Old Testament is within your thinking processes, where you reason, where you dwell. Um, The emotions are involved, but it's also the thought process. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your thought processes, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and fear. So we have truth and love again. Um, it's, it's, not, it's no surprise that apologetics, a lot of times when people are teaching on apologetics, they can't avoid teaching on theology. When people are teaching on theology, they can't avoid teaching on apologetics. They go hand in hand. One of the things that we're going to be doing next year for our doctrine class here on Wednesdays is we're going to be going over uh, the list of apologetics questions that uh, many of our students use um, for their apologetics coursework and speech and debate. And I'd encourage you to come on out if you can make it. Uh, these are some of the types of questions that these kids are going to be responding to. Uh, the Old Testament, God is a God of hate, while the New Testament, God is a God of love. Respond. Um, a Richard Dawkins quote, the Bible should be taught, but emphatically not as reality. It is fiction, myth, poetry, anything but reality. As such, it needs to be taught because it underlies so much of our literature and our culture. Respond. These are some of the questions that these kids are responding to. Um, All persons are children of God. Answer that question. Answer the question, um, Christians are all hypocrites. Why would I want to become one of them? These are very important questions that um, not just young people, but all of our people need to be able to respond to in our culture. How do we respond to the arguments against the binary system of male and female? The Bible says stuff about that. We need to, we need to arm ourselves and be ready to talk about those types of things. And then lastly, there are consequences if we do not do theology purposefully. There's consequences If we just pull our arrows out and just shoot them anyway and we don't really get trained, we're not really thoughtful about our theology, uh, you will all be a theologian. You'll just be bad theologians. Um, You'll be shooting your arrows in different directions, maybe picking off people that you shouldn't be picking off, Um, maybe avoiding issues that you should not be avoiding, avoiding targets that should be hit. Um, There's the the consequence of our theology being man-centered as opposed to God-centered when we're not being thoughtful and directive. Historically, we see how the church over and over again falls into liberalism when they're not being thoughtful and purposeful about uh, biblical-directed theology. False unity, we unify with people we shouldn't be unifying with. We stay away from people that we probably should be unified with. There's the problem of legalism and antinomianism in the church. Happens right here at Cornerstone. People aren't very thoughtful about their, their, their doctrine, and they get legalistic about things the Bible doesn't really talk about. And then they get liberal about things that the Bible says all kinds of stuff about. Um, people can fall into mysticism. 
Um, we just get mystical about our relationship with God and, and it's not founded in substance. We get driven by pure emotionalism. Or maybe we get driven by pure intellectualism and forget about the emotional aspect of our faith with God. We get driven by minimalism, the idea that, oh, they, we just love Jesus. Yeah, they love Jesus. You ever hear that? You know, here's somebody who's off teaching false doctrine. They're denying the Trinity, denying the humanity of Christ, robbing people blind of their money. And they say, ah, they love Jesus. That's minimalism. A refusal to, bear, to bring theology to bear upon the situation. Or just disorderly random theology. We're not really sure how to answer questions. I, th- I think you're seeing that in the church today as there's cultural issues that are rising up all around us that the church should know how to answer. The answers are not all that difficult. And yet, every time I turn around, every time I go onto another blog, I'm hearing of another theologian or another Christian musician who's saying some nonsense that they, they should know better. And, you know, it's very interesting to me, this is another sermon I'm going to preach another day, is that a lot of the heresy comes to the church through music. And when I say music, I'm talking about Christian music, worship music. A lot of, the the- a lot of heresy is coming into our churches through the songs that we are singing in the church. Um, those are some of the things that we should be a little more concerned about, even than some of the secular radio. At least the stuff on the secular radio, you know they're pagans, right? And you hear them singing about pagan things, you're like, well, that's what pagans do. They, th- they sing about pagan things. But when somebody comes and writes a song for the church, you think, oh, this is worship. And they're just sneaking in heresy through the songs. So how do we, how do we apply basically this message? You guys are going to do some of this discussion in your, in your care group. How do we do theology? I've given you these various arrows. Maybe some of them have stuck. Maybe some of them haven't. Maybe you've forgotten all of them. I hope you remember a few. But how can you do it? How can you really take these arrows? How can you do theology? Let me just give you a couple suggestions as we close. In one sense, it's really not all that hard. Um, There are people all over this room that have expertise in certain areas. You guys, most of you people work somewhere. You've had to study to do your job. Um, Some of you have expertise in various hobbies. How did you get to be good at what you did? You studied and you practiced and you said, I'm going to work on this. In a lot of ways, just doing theology, uh, being a better theologian happens because you just decide, I'm going to work on it. In one sense, it's not really all that hard. You in another sense, it does require hard work. Just as that Awana verse says, we want to be diligent to present yourselves a, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. We have to work at it. Proverbs 2, you can write it down, look it up later. talks about how that if we seek for it, if we really work and reach out, then we will find the knowledge of the Lord. But some of the steps are just actually very, very, very simple. And they're things that you and I know. We just have to put them into practice. It's things like read your Bible. Pretty tough. Read the Bible. It's easy, but it's hard, right? There's so many things that pull us away. Get up and read your Bible. That's doing theology on purpose. Here's another thing. You guys are all sitting here listening to a sermon. Every Sunday, hopefully you come to hear sermons. Work at hearing sermons. Sermon, uh, uh, a preaching Uh, part of our service this is a worship part of our service 
that doesn't just require work on the part of Pastor Milton or myself or Pastor Carlos, whoever preaches. It requires work on your part. How do you prepare yourself before you come to a sermon? Are you, are you engaged? Are you trying to, to listen? Are you trying to avoid distractions? Are you trying to take notes? Are you engaged? Are you looking at me in the eye? It's amazing sometimes, and this happens anytime you speak anywhere, so it's just this part of the beast. You know, you just look out, and sometimes you see people like, you know, engaged, and they're shaking their head. Another time you just... And this size of a crowd, it happens every time. You just can't get, you know, I can't get offended. It's just the way it goes. There's some people are going to close their eyes, and they're off in la-la land, or, um, you know, other distractions. But I, I find that I have to work. There's sometimes where I've come in to hear Pastor Milton, and I love Pastor Milton's preaching, by the way. But sometimes I've been up till three or four in the morning preparing a Sunday school lesson. And I'll tell you what, there's times where I have to sit here and like pinch myself and I'm holding my breath and I'm like doing everything I can because I'm the pastor and I can't fall asleep in church. <laughs> right. But no, no, we want to work. We want to work at hearing what God has has to say to us. Attend a doctrine class. Come on Wednesday mornings. We're going to be doing apologetics just about all year next year. Come on Wednesdays. Attend Sunday school. I just I can't tell you how much I how strongly I feel and I almost want to put it in the Bible, but that'd be illegal. That'd be false that that you guys should be attending Sunday school. The stuff that we've done this year, your kids and your adults have learned the doctrine of the Trinity. They've learned the gospel. They've learned hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. They've learned um, foundations of um, creation, all the, all the first days, second day, third day, so on. Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, we've learned apologetics. And this is, all being ha- this is all happening on the adult and kid level to where kids and adults can get together and talk about it afterwards. It's a killer curriculum. And we're going through the Bible verse by verse, basically, or, or chapter by chapter. It's awesome. Awana, men's ministries, care group. There's all kinds of opportunities. Read good books. Get a systematic theology if you don't have one. Wayne Grudem's systematic theology would be a great one to start with. Um, Read blogs. Tim Chalice. I get it every day. Every day it comes to my email. And he's always telling me, he's always directing me to different theological articles or this or that. I get it every single day. Gospel Coalition. Al Mohler has briefs where he's helping you think through the news from a Christian worldview every day. It's about like a 15 minute thing. It's a podcast. You plug it in. I, I drive to work and I can hear the whole podcast in, a, in my in my commute. And he's just updating me with from a Christian worldview. Do theology in every aspect of your life. Take every thought captive. What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your mind? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your family? Bring it all captive to Christ. And then lastly, theology can be fun. Theology doesn't have to be just dry and boring. Listen to Shailen. He's one of the best theologians, one of my favorite theologians. He's got an album called The Atonement. One thing I didn't realize until I started listening to rap is you can shove a lot of theology into one song. And that's one of the reasons why I love rap is because the average song that you just hear on the radio, it's like you can only get like so many lyrics in there. But in rap, Shailen has a whole song on the life of C.H. Spurgeon, his whole life. It's awesome. I, you can learn everything that you want to know about C.H. Spurgeon in one rap. The doctrine of resurrection. I got up one time and I taught the doctrine of resurrection in theology class. 
And then later I heard the doctrine of resurrection from Shailin. And he said, everything I said in 60, no, I think I took two hours to say everything he said in a five minute rap. It was just awesome. Um, you can go to sites like on YouTube, Lutheran satire, Lutheran satire. Two of my favorite theologians are Connolly and Donnelly now. These two little cartoon guys, they're just making fun of stuff all over the place. And they're teaching theology as they're making fun of stuff. They're just awesome. Babylonian B would be another final one. Uh, it's, these guys are just, they're teaching theology by just making fun of stuff. Like there's an article that came out just the other day. Benny Hinn spends another long day at Children's Hospital healing kids. That's an awesome article. And it teaches so much in one article. Because Benny Hinn's ridiculous. He's a false teacher. Sinister plot to interpret Bible. Literally exposed. Um, there's just some great stuff on there. There's, uh, there's dangers. Obviously, we can fall into pride. The more knowledge you get, you can fall into pride. But you know what? You can get proud about ignorance. I, you can get proud about being good at playing guitar. Or you can get proud about how much you know about astrology. or No, not astrology, astronomy. Um, you can get proud about anything. Knowledge can puff up, but it doesn't have to puff up if we're seeing the design for which it was, it was purposed. So... As we as we pray, you know, the one point, do your theology on purpose, aim your arrows at the target. There's all kinds of arrows that the Lord has given us. Um, We just want to go out and be purposeful about it. And that's part of what we're trying to do here every single Sunday as we preach and teach. All right, let's pray. We'll have our uh, team come on up. We'll have the ushers come on down for the offering as well. Lord, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to worship you today. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for how much you have revealed about yourself and your word. Uh, We know that while it is the very edges of your ways, and we know that the secret things belong to you, but the things revealed belong to us and our children that we may obey them. And so we pray that we put these things in practice. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take these various arrows to be more skilled in doing theology, to know you, and to love you, and to speak about you in love and truth. We pray that you bring about more and more unity in the church. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to identify false teaching. Um, We pray, Father, that you would just make us more and more skilled as we study the scriptures, as we see the connections um, in doctrine, as we are reproved by those doctrines, as we are then corrected. We pray, Lord, that we would grow in righteousness. In Christ's name we pray. All God's people said, amen.